May all that you stand for and that we stand for be preserved under the providence of God for the happiness of mankind. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machines. But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force. Australia is not a secular country. It is a free country. G'day and welcome to Pello Talk. I'm Dave Pello, and today on the panel, I'm joined again by uh, Dylan and Matthew, but we also have uh, joining us uh, a welcome and familiar face to many of you, Alexandra Marshall, who's been slaving away in the salt mines of Uzbekistan or, or somewhere like that. Um, Ellie, welcome to The Good Source. How are you? I got sent to the gulag, obviously, for speaking too much truth. So apologies to any Uzbekistanis. Uh, we don't mean to imply that you're very far away from civilization. Um, <laughs> Ellie, uh, one of the big things, I've got mixed emotions about the new liberals or TNL as they have to call themselves because their name's blatantly uh, a copyright infringement of the Liberal Party. Um, but you've done some research and you've looked into these people. Uh, Tell us a little bit about them. Is there much of a threat of any intending Liberal voters um, accidentally confusing them for people right of centre? Well, first of all, TNL, or the New Liberals, as I used to call themselves, are basically what the Greens and Teals wish they could be, but know that if they did that, no one would vote for them. They're basically the greenest, craziest people you will ever meet. And uh, as part of my research, my article I did, the good source yesterday, I came across uh, Victor Klein's campaign ad, who's the head of TNL, and it involved him walking out into Sydney Harbour to uh, demonstrate that he doesn't understand how the depth of water works. And I accidentally made him into an internet sensation last night. And the last count, he's got almost a million views on his ad. There are only 11,000 when I started yesterday. I mean, even people from GB News have been reblogging him. He's that, he's that fringe. But basically, they started up with this name, the New Liberals, um, and they paint themselves as the alternative to people who are frustrated with conservative politics and want more action on climate change. So, yes, they did basically deliberately try and steal a few conservative voters with their name. And the Liberal Party, quite rightly in this case, uh, decided that was not okay and uh, made them change their name to just TNL, although they still pretty much called themselves the New Liberals. Uh, and in defence of their name, Victor Klein made the poor argument, which he also acknowledges is a terrible argument, saying that if someone called their product New Coke, no one would confuse it with uh, regular Coke. But I'm pretty certain that Coca-Cola would sue you off the face of the earth if you tried. So that's pretty much the, the new liberals. They're an ultra, ultra, ultra green, green party pretending to be conservatives. And... Is there any, what kind of evidence is there or what kind of uh, behaviours indicate they might be trying to be um, perceived as, as conservative or Menzian liberals in, in any way? Well, aside from stealing some quotes from Menzies and Churchill, which they do in their manifesto, they literally, they paint, the, they paint climate change as a war and use a quote from Churchill to justify them creating a war economy for climate. So that's about as yep. close as 
to conservatism as he gets. But that's not actually being conservative. That's just lifting familiar names and trying to associate them with the brand. As far as yeah. conservative politics go, I didn't find a single conservative policy in there. I found plenty of Greens policies, uh, but no, no, no conservative policies. Wow. Well, thank you for doing that research. Do either of you two, Dylan, Matt, have any uh, questions for Ellie about TNL, the new Liberals, or comments? I haven't heard of them before. I was, I was going to say, to me, it sounds like a very sneaky strategy to try and, uh, you know, disguise themselves as the Liberals, not that uh, the Liberals are somebody that, you know, have lost a lot of gloss already. This party in this election, I don't think they should be trying to align themselves with the Liberals, maybe with the Freedom Party. Might have been a more clever strategy to get votes. Yeah. To be fair, they're coming dead last. So he's actually being beat by paper candidates from minor parties. But the funniest thing is that uh, he thinks his ad campaign was successful. That's got almost a million views. What he doesn't realise is that the people viewing his ad campaign are not the people in his electorate. They're people in the UK who saw my post being reblogged by uh, some very famous figures over there. So uh, he's being laughed at by more people who will ever vote. Sure. Yeah, that uh, that's. Uh, I mean, it, that's I do your fault. That's your it. fault. You set me on him. This is your <laughs> fault. Into I, I, I did ask you to research these guys and, and just uh, do a bit of a, a reveal, a voter education on on just how conservative they are because uh, better to be aware and informed of, of these um, fake liberals. I mean, the liberals themselves are, are fake liberals uh, right now. That was my... Oh, oh, you just frightened me. You, you just frightened me. I didn't, I didn't know this guy existed and now I'm the poorer for knowing that he does. So thank you, Dave. <laughs> Matt? I was just going to say, it's, it's not uncommon for uh, for leftists to try and argue that Menzies was really a progressive. I mean, mm. uh, in Deconstructing ScoMo, uh, Augusto Zimmerman and, and Rocchio, I can't always get his... Like, like, Rocco Loyacono. Loyacono, I can't say it right. <laughs> but Rocco Loyacono point out that uh, there's a couple of quotes that are taken from Menzies, which people try to argue that he really was a progressive in today's sense of the terms. But he himself lamented that the Liberal Party was tending towards the left in the 70s and 80s, or 70s, sorry. Uh, I can't remember the exact dates, but it's not a new strategy. I mean, I thought at first it sounded clever to try and uh, make yourself look like something that you're not just to still vote. So not clever in a good sense, clever in a devious sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, tricky. But it seems like it's not clever because it's not even working. <laughs> and that's right. <laughs> Can I, can I just say he did everybody a, a, good, a good service in one respect because what he did was walk with this ad that he made where he walked out into the tides to show that, you know, climate change, the water is rising, whilst doing it in front of a, a harbour that famously hasn't changed its tideline in 200 years. Yes. What he did was show how ridiculous this climate politics is because while everyone's laughing at him, which they all are, we have to remember that the wet Liberals, Labor, the Greens and the Teals all believe exactly the same thing that he does. And if yeah. you go and read his manifesto, it's almost identical to something that Dave Sharma or Trent Zimmerman or Matt Keane would say. So if you think he's ridiculous, the best thing you can do is show his video and say, well, this is what the Liberals believe. This is what Labor believes. What the Teals and Greens believe. Can you defend this craziness? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Ellie, thanks for writing that. And thank you for your patience uh, standing by while we uh, sorted ourselves out in the uh, studio this morning. And if anybody wants to... Uh, support the research work and writing that Ellie does. 
it's at the bottom of the same um, page where you will find the details about Beware the TNL. That's on the Good Source website, goodsource.news. Um, it's one of the most recent articles published, uh, and you'll be able to see Ellie's expose, the silly little video that they've done there proving that the Sydney Harbour hasn't risen in over 100 years. Uh, and, um, yeah, just make sure. Now you know. If you see them, don't be confused. Don't give them a preference. Uh, make sure they're at least beneath Labor um, because they, they belong with the other radical leftist green extremists at the bottom of your ballot. Um, Ellie, uh, we will uh, try and make this work a bit smoother next week. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, find me something else hilarious like that, Dave, because that was a lot of fun yesterday. And uh, I think the internet enjoyed your efforts to, uh, to reveal Klein. So thank you very much. No worries at all. Hey, um, just jump up and hit that close button again on the low battery warning. See you later, Ellie. Perfect. All right. Well, now what we're going to do is uh, flick over to Matthew Littlefield, uh, who's got a, a comment and editorial about the binary thinking that conservatives do. I certainly want uh, everything I do to be educational and to help conservatives and right thinking people um, be more intelligent, uh, be smarter voters, not be dependent on other people for their thinking, but be able to uh, be a little bit more um, sophisticated in that. So let's uh, switch over to Matt and take it away. Thanks, Dave. Binary thinking limits the conservative side. Red versus blue, liberal versus labor, socialism versus capitalism. We live in a world of binary, of two options, two sides, two competing teams. We could debate over whether this is deliberate. That is, are we deliberately pushed towards one of two options to divide our attention and focus? Or is this simply a result of the binary nature of most human beings? Most people tend to think only in, bi in, in terms of binary, left or right, right or wrong, red or blue, blues versus maroons, et cetera, et cetera. This is true in many contexts. Come on, maroons. What, yes. <laughs> One of the most common examples of this binary mindset is the idea of socialism versus capitalism, the twin pillars of the economic divide. Leftists generally get pegged as socialist, and this is generally true. They tend to favor redistribution of wealth and increasing government activity in the market, whereas conservatives or the right tend to get pegged as capitalists, and this is generally true. Those on the right or conservatives tend to prefer smaller government and less regulation and prefer to allow the market to sort things out. Now, the interesting thing about these two systems is that you can show examples of both of them which work reasonably well. For example, Scandinavia tends to be far more socialist than North America, whereas it, it is at the same time very a very wealthy place. There are many aspects of the culture that I find abhorrent, but you cannot say that they are not successful countries with a high standard of living, good productivity, and good social services. This is despite their reliance on redistribution, whereas Australia or the United States could be shared as examples of more capitalist countries, which are remarkably successful. Australia is actually more in between Scandinavia and the US than close to the USA, but we still have a relatively free market system. But the real problem is that people set up either of these two systems on a pedestal, treating them like gods, and they become taboos that cannot be questioned. I'm not a fan of socialism at all, but to criticize capitalism is to be seen as somehow favoring socialism or not understanding economics. But why must there only be two choices? Surely no society is purely one way or the other. There is a spectrum. But more than that, have we been given other options to learn from? 
I would say that we have. The scripture is neither socialist nor capitalist. It is not even a mix of both, really. It presents a third axis. If socialism is left and capitalism is right, then the scripture's perspective, I would call it the true north. Socialism is about the collective or state control of the means of production. Capitalism is about the free exchange of goods and services and decentralized market-based production. Socialism gives the control of all the resources of society into the hands of the state. That's at one extreme. Capitalism gives it into the hands of the industrious. It's the other extreme. But for a time, only for a time, both systems have flaws, but the capitalistic system is inherently prone to being given over to debt, ever increasing debt. This is a problem. So in a capitalist society, debt being paid is considered sacred. This means that rather than protect the property rights of the debtor, the property rights of the creditor are favored. This leads to an increasing problem of the lenders having more and more and the debtors having less and less. This will result in eventual collapse, but because capitalists put the emphasis on paying debts being sacred, you cannot call for the debt to be canceled because to pay back money with interest is just, as somebody told me that just yesterday. The scriptures, however, present a few key things to avoid this problem. Family, tribal-owned land that is inherited by the family in perpetuity. It can be sold, but must be returned after a time. This allows a degree of trade and commerce, but ensures that eventually the indebted family are restored to their property. The debtor's right to keep their property is considered more sacred than the creditor's right to be paid back their money with interest. This de-incentivizes <clears throat> lending lots of money, which is important. Regular cancellation of debts. In the Bible, regular cancellation of debts is a must, and it restores back people's ability to provide for themselves and be productive. Debts are unavoidable. They will happen. You cannot get rid of debt completely. So people must be freed from this burden periodically. And the foreigner is charged interest, but not the member of the community. This ensures that local workers, producers, and business owners can outcompete foreigners coming in, ensuring that their community is protected from being destabilized from outside sources. None of these policies are capitalistic, but they're all good. Let's consider them. Um, that's very interesting. Um, let me look, bottom line, I don't think anybody can disagree with you. Um, what you're talking about is is idealistic um and the problem is that i mean are you suggesting this be an election platform policy let me ask you this question how successful do you think a political party would be if they promised to cancel debts how many re-elections do you think they would win how much loyalty would they get from the people uh, they would be uber famous. They would be uber famous. And see, ancient kings knew this. What, well, you said before this is a bit idealistic. And, and one of the things... When Which doesn't mean it's wrong. I love idealism. I, I'm idealistic. I think the federal parliament should be 151 independents debating and thrashing out ideas or, or 300 independents, like, much like the um, British parliament is. Uh, it's a two-tiered level of, of government, whereas we've got three levels here. They don't do away with the federal or the state. They do essentially with the councils. They're just much, many more state. Bottom line is there's lots and lots of independents, locally representative, popularly elected, and um, and it, they really thrash out ideas. Um, and because there's 
many more MPs who aren't in the cabinet and party loyal. There's many more MPs who actually get to advocate for the people's interests yes. uh, without yes. party loyalty. Um, and, and so I don't know where I was going with this. Oh, yeah, idealism. Yeah. I, I think this kind of independence, it, 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 this kind of idealism, it's something to work for and hope for and dream about and talk about. Um, and so that's the kind of basket I think I'm putting what you put in because it's biblical and I think God's systems are the best for human flourishing. Um, but there's a lot of untangled nest that needs to come along with the implementation of this aspect. Absolutely correct. I agree with my, pretty much most of what you're saying. I would love that parliament. I've said many times that I'm praying for an Italian parliament. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. A parliament where no party can hold power in its own right and yeah. they are forced to work with each other. As scholars for a long time, so if you read Leviticus 25 or other passages in the Bible which actually talk about debt relief, many scholars uh, at different points argued about whether or not these were just idealistic policies which were never actually applied or whether they were practical. This is the argument that I want to make. This is not just not idealistic, although I can understand why you say that in our context. It's practical and conservative. And the reason I say that is, and the reason I brought with me this book here today, which is called And Forgive Them Their Debts, it's actually written by a brilliant American economist called Michael Hudson. I recommend that anyone who wants to explore this topic, just look up his website, read his articles. If you want to, you can buy that book. No, I'm not sponsored to publish it. I just love it. It was actually given to me as a gift from a friend. Looks very interesting. It's a great book. But he points out in this, in this book, and he goes through the entire history of debt forgiveness right back into the ancient world and actually shows that one of the ways which all the ancient societies were able to conserve their traditions, conserve their cultures, and most importantly, conserve their people on the land was by forgiving debts regularly. And generally when it happened was when a new monarch came into power, he would cancel the debts. Wow. And generally most debts at that time were owed to the king, so it was much easier for the king to do it. But it, it, we, We've got... Um, we've got Marlene asking if you are greens. <laughs> See, this is the problem. Binary thinking. Oh, only the greens. Now, can I ask you a question, Marlene? Are you a Christian? I don't know if you're a Christian or not. But whether or not you're a Christian, I encourage you to open up to Leviticus chapter 5 and ask this question. Did the greens write the, the passage about jubilee and debt forgiveness? Did the greens write that people's land should not be sold in perpetuity? Did the greens write that the land was God's and not theirs, and therefore we have to preserve the culture. And if your answer to all those questions is no, then that's then that's good because that's correct. Right. No, these are not Greens policies. And this is the this is the problem. We in today's culture, we consider paying debts sacred. Somebody said to me just as and I put that in the thing, he said this. He said, paying back debt with interest is just. You know what's fascinating about that? That's the punishment that God gave to the unmerciful servant who refused to forgive the debts of his fellow servants. But that wasn't a punishment. That was the status quo. That was what was expected. What was what was exceptional was the forgiveness this is, in that parable. This is, this is a mistake. In most of the ancient world, debt forgiveness was common and regular, and it actually sustained these civilizations. But the, I, I don't even I don't even understand that because that's just a gift. It's not debt if you're not expected to pay it back. Well, see, what it wasn't forgiveness. Every that's six, just charity. It wasn't it wasn't forgiveness every six months well, or every every year. It was debt forgiveness periodically. So in the scriptures, you are able to get your land back 
after seven years. You were able to be released out of debt after seven years. Now, let me give a, um, I'm sorry for continue to interject, but I just want to reflect and, and bounce and, and move things on. Um, Campbell Newman, for example, thinks that the Port of Brisbane should have been um, leased for 100 years because he didn't want us to lose ownership of it or control of it. He wanted it to be returned to the people. And whether you agree with 100 years or seven years, it, it's kind of the concept, um, I think, that you're talking about, whether it's debt forgiveness or, or basically what... If this was a system that people... So introducing that today would disadvantage and ruin a whole heap of people. It'd certainly be very complicated. But perhaps if you said, okay, um, 10 years from now, every debt will be forgiven, um, then people doing business five years from now, uh, eight years from now, nine years from now, would be doing business with the fact in mind that they can't loan too much because it is going to be erased at the end of that. And so they wouldn't put themselves in a place where they're giving away their family wealth. Yeah, and this is an important point. And as I was going to say before, and that you, you've, you've touched on the key important principle about this. Debt is erosive. And, and I know Dylan's going to have a lot to say about that. But debt is debt is erosive and debt enslaves. And so the problem is it's also really easy to get in our society. And what we want to do is find ways to limit debt. And one of the simplest ways to limit how much a money lender is willing to give is to point out that there's going to be uh, an end clause on when they're going to be able to keep yeah, collecting that. Brilliant. And so the whole goal of this is why I said this <clears> policy <throat> is conservative. It, it conserved the amount of debt in society. Just look, I'll just and then and keep really jump in. it conserved the amount of debt in society. It conserved people on their I land and it conserved the traditions of the culture. So that's why it's so important. It's not a Greens policy. None of the Greens are smart enough to write Leviticus 25. No, indeed. <laughs> well, we're going to, uh, Dylan, I'm going to get you to comment and, and give us your thoughts on that in a minute. But yeah. uh, just for the viewers who are watching, time for a bit of housekeeping. Somebody uh, asked right at the top of of the uh, show, who are you? Um, for those people who are watching on, on other channels, my name's Dave Pello. Uh, I'm the editor and founder of Good Source, uh, The Good Source, which is trying to um, uh, platform independent, right-thinking people. Uh, we are not an echo chamber. We are, are not censorious. Um, I will let bad ideas on this platform so that they can be discussed and debated um, without any reflection on this current conversation. <laughs> um, uh, and, and so part of what I want this to do is to challenge us. I mean, if you're right, fantastic. Listen to an idea that you disagree with uh, and then gather more evidence to support your position. Um, because that's, you know, if you've never heard the best argument against your position, um, then you actually don't even know your position properly. So this is really, really good uh, intellectual rigor that will help us become better thinkers. I'm not an academic. I've never got a, a really great university degree. I've been to Bible college, um, and that's about it for tertiary. And uh, you know, I've done a couple of other TAFE courses, et cetera, and mortgage brokering and other things. But um, uh, nobody could describe me as an academic. Um and so what I'm actually trying to do is have and host and facilitate these conversations that any blue-collar person, uh, you know, stay-at-home mum, a plumber digging trenches, uh, a salesman down at Harvey Norman, we can all uh, say this isn't what we do full-time, but let's be capable of more than the average person who takes a how-to-vote card letting somebody else think. Uh, I think that's intellectual welfare, generational dependence on other people's hard work. 
Uh, it's something we need to be better at. And the reason we don't have a better nation is because we don't have a better government because we don't have better voters. That's on us. So let's be capable of hearing and engaging in these disagreements and discussions. And instead of making it a competition of egos, let's pursue truth together. Radical ideas should be entertained either to pursue them or to uh, reject them again and, and understand why, that, why they, um, they, they don't suit us. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much uh, what we're doing here. Um, goodsource.news is where you can subscribe to podcasts. It's not my channel. I'm just uh, the editor, and we try with a team of volunteers and staff to put up as many independent thinkers as we can. Um, and we're trying to do this in not just the print format, but also in video and podcast. So look for us on your podcast channels and subscribe to the newsletter at goodsource.news. Now, Dylan, how does this all sit with you? Let's... Um, uh, I guess just start with your broad thoughts without any specific question from me. Oh, thanks again, Dave, for having me on today. And I just want to say, uh, firstly, that the aircon is a little bit uh, more pleasant today. I think I almost <laughs> caught a cold last time I was in here. So uh, You should have a vaccine for that. <laughs> yeah. No, well, don't take the flu shot, my friend. Uh, and I haven't got a jacket on. I'm feeling quite comfortable. So that's the first thing I comment on. Last time you may have seen me like trying to you know, warm my hands up. But uh, <laughs> thank you, Dave. It's a lovely, pleasant environment. Uh, look, I find uh, what Matt talking about today in terms of the debt and uh, what I would call debt slavery to be uh, really interesting. We, we didn't talk about it before we came on, well, before we met today. Uh, and it's something that I've journeyed a, a lot myself at a personal level. One thing I noted when you were speaking there, Matt, was you said something about the monarchs would, would be the ones to relieve the debt when they came to power. The difference I think we see today is it's the, not the monarchs or even the government that, that, that we're indebted to, but there is a banking system behind it and, and even our governments themselves are in, are in debt. So this debt-based uh, economy that we have uh, makes it not as easy as, as uh, being able to just re release people of their debts en masse. I haven't really thought about it actually from a macroeconomic point of view, how you would go about doing that, and Dave raises a good point there about you know, wouldn't people take advantage of the fact of the Jubilee? I know the Jubilee principle in Scripture, you know, coming up, and it's something I'd like Which to... Which is every 50 years. 50 years. Mm. Something I'd like to look at uh, further. Um, it, at a personal level, and this is what Matt and I were talking about just before we came on air, was uh, about this sense that that debt is slavery. And, and my own personal journey and something that I've shared with a lot of people over the years is that... Uh, uh, around the area of a mortgage. And see, our economy runs, it's called the great Australian dream, if you like. Everyone's got to own their own home. Mm. And it talk about a, a binary thinking or just a, 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 it's almost like a script. And over the years, even in the, in the high school, I'd talk to students and I'd say, don't just have a script in your mind. When I leave school, I'm going to get a car loan. After I get a car loan, I'm going to get a home loan because you essentially become a slave to the system. And I've always had in my heart, you know, for the last, since about 100% agree. 2009, you know, I don't want to be a slave. I remember waking up and feeling the, the very real weight of debt on my shoulders when I had a mortgage mm. and I was indebted. Uh, what was the wake-up call for me was the 2008 credit crunch. It affected my business very, very badly. And, uh, and it, you know, for a lot of people, uh, our income just ground to a halt. People couldn't access funds. Um, lending tightened up, and it kind of, for me, it was a time I exposed uh, the the weight and the slavery I felt as, as uh, an indebted person. So I went through a process of repentance. So the key word for me in all of this, Matt, is repentance. Uh, 
I found that as I repented for getting myself into a debt situation, really the Lord put a conviction on my heart. Where did you ask me about all of these decisions you made to get into this kind of debt? And I thought, well, I, I didn't. I just I just assumed that this is the way you it's do what it. Everybody does. Everybody does it. You mm. know, Christians alike. I never heard anyone talk differently. Uh, but I did listen to some things. I did start researching, and I remember uh, this is Charles is only you know probably about two years old at this time, and put all of our debts on the table with my wife, and we put our hands on it, and we repented and said, God, if you can get us out of this, I'll never go into it again. And uh, so that was in 2008. By by the start of 2009, I was out of debt, and we've we've stayed that way all this time. Uh, so good. And which would have helped you a whole lot <clears throat> when this last two years happened. And I mean, you lost your job because you chose to stay vaccine free. Yes. And and that's not easy times. That's been hard times for you. Yes. But imagine if you also had to not just service your dinner table and your fuel tank but also all of those debts that most people yeah. um, found crippling and crushing in this past few years. Well, it, 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 it's exactly what you're saying, Dave. And, uh, and I didn't know that at the time, but I did see other areas that I had freedom in yeah. besides not having to have a, a medical intervention that I didn't want. But even in the area of schooling, like we had a heart to homeschool our children. And uh, to do really? that, even though my wife is also a qualified registered teacher, she's a brilliant teacher. She's, uh, you know, halfway through a master's degree in education, she could be out in the workforce doing, uh, bringing an income for our family. But we made a deliberate decision uh, that she would school our children and we'd invest in them as as uh, as much as we could. So all of those decisions so awesome. were made Heroic. around the aspect that we got it. We decided we'd live simply, we'd live without debt, and we'd look to the Lord to provide our needs. Uh, and we've seen some amazing things happen there. Just I've to often, clarify that word, yeah. there's going to be a lot of people yeah. um, who aren't Christians watching yes. this. So we just yes. need to clarify. When you say you rely on God to provide your needs, you're yeah. not sitting on the couch waiting for money to appear in the letterbox, are you? I've never been on the dole in my life, and I never will be. Uh, and I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that as a, as a judgment against anyone who's gone that way or needs to go that way. But for me, I'm an industrious person. Necessity breeds invention. And I've never, and you've got the health and ability, and too. I've got the health and ability. Right, I'm yeah. blessed with that, Dave, and uh, and I don't take it for granted. On that note, we talk about injury. I've never had a flu shot in my life. I'm the healthiest bloke at the, on the school campus, and uh, <laughs> and I'm the one they kick out because I'm an infection risk. It's ridiculous, but what a joke! What a joke! So, uh, it, Dave, what I meant by you know providing a lead, as a Christian, you're right. As a Christian, I think there's another word that I guess we could explore over time, even on this panel, is the idea of covenant. Yeah. Uh, when we go into a banking arrangement and we get a loan, it's really a covenant with the bank. And yet we are covenant people with God Almighty. And so by... Perhaps so, you can answer this question from Judy. Do you want to just finish that thought first? Yeah, so by so by going into, you know, when I go into it, if I was to go and get a, a mortgage, I go and make a covenant with the bank. Now, let me just say a couple of things about the banking system. It is, it is uh, a debt-based, it is a debt-based system. It is a fractional reserve lending system it's a quantitative easing system so what that means is that it, it's false weights and measures dave i'll keep this quick i know you want to move along uh, it's false weights and measures which are, are, are an abomination to the lord all right yeah. so when they lend money to us when the banks lend us money they're lending it essentially out of thin air a lot of it is created money the credit is created okay and it's what it's what keeps our economies going so you talk about capitalism being i think you mentioned it it's a debt-based system uh, but when I pay that money back, Dave, 
I don't make that money up. I have to pay it back with my blood, sweat and tears. Yep. That's the difference. Yeah. Okay. I can't go and create a certain amount of money and say, here, can you take that back? Because if I print money in my garage, I get arrested. Yeah. But the banks have the ability and they have when the, the authorization. It, it's legal. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, even the governments are beholden to banks. You know, so because the banking system, the Reserve Bank of Australia is not a government organisation; it's it's a privately held statutory authority. Yeah. So, um, so we've got to keep that's a zero sum game. Always being in this as consumers, as capitalists, even Christians, always borrowing money and living in a debt based system. It, it, it's a zero sum game, and it uh, and essentially it uh, keeps us from make. This is a big thing, Dave, and you touched on it when you said about the the vaccination. We make decisions. Uh, against our conscience and out of a slave mentality. It's yep. a very real thing. And it, I, I could, if I, I would be a very rich man if for everybody who said to me, Dylan, I wouldn't have taken the shots, except I have a mortgage. Yep. Yep. Except yep. I have a mortgage. And I'm I'm Can't not critical or judgment. I think there's been, you know, the scripture says, for a lack of knowledge, my people perish. And I think that, you know, this, this topic needs to be discussed more. And maybe this will be the wake-up call that it was for me in 2008 for a lot of people. Yep. But I'm. I thank God every day that I, yeah, I didn't have that taskmaster of debt on my back telling me to take a. a yeah. Let's uh, throw to Matt if you want to have a look at some of those questions on the screen um, and uh, just respond to any of Dylan's comments that you want to. Um, so I want to respond to something Dylan said, but let's just look at what Judy said. Oh. Forgiveness. I don't understand. I don't understand it. it my disclaimer. Uh, cool. Uh, but wouldn't it encourage borrowers to not repay their debt? or debt with interest because they figure that in example their debt would not be forgiven so um, for example at the end of the the period the like yeah, the 10 years yeah so michael hudson points out and this is very 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 simple puts in perspective that's that cannot be paid will not be paid and should not be paid if people don't have their money to pay their debts now they're not going to have their money to pay their debts in the future you're bleeding a stone uh -huh. And so the, the whole point of this policy of debt forgiveness is, is to recognize people not paying their debts is a problem. For example, Romans 13 says, leave no debt outs, outs, outstanding except the debt to owe each other love. Correct. Uh, we, there's an encouragement in the scriptures to pay our debts. That, that is a problem. But it, the whole concept of debt forgiveness recognizes that the greater problem is the money lenders. Mm -hmm. The money lenders exploiting people, mm -hmm. as somebody pointed out, they're the oligarchs. Now, I want to give you an example of this, and everything that Dylan said that I love. In fact, the, the person who bought me this book has the very same perspective, and I have a very similar perspective. There's one one minor difference, and that's a few years ago. Uh, my wife and I said we were, I was of the, I was actually of the exact same view. I'm not going to buy because it's buying into a corrupt system which oppresses people. I don't want anything to do to it. Woe to those who add home to home until there's no room left in the land. Isaiah five, I think verse eight. That was my that was my um, that was my belief. But then I then I, I then I worked. I sat down one day and I was just going through the finances and I looked at how much money we were paying in rent each week and I realized I'm I'm paying off somebody else's house and my rent keeps going up. And those of you in the last couple of years, you reckon you saw what happened to rents and what it's like trying to get a rental now. So what we did is similar but different. We decided to buy a very cheap home that we could afford to pay on one income because we also homeschool. And over the years, our payments have gone down. So now we're, we're, we're paying a week far less than we would be if we tried to rent the same home. But otherwise, I agree with everything Dylan said, but here's the, here's the one flaw. And it's not a flaw in what Dylan said. Everything Dylan said is brilliant. Take it, apply it to your life, and you will prosper in a lot of ways. I agree with him. 
But this is what I want to just point out. Many people say the issue here is one of personal responsibility. If we just took personal responsibility for our debt, we could solve the issue. Mm. But the problem is debt creates easy access to money. Mm -hmm. Easy access to money creates inflation. Inflation drives prices up. So whether or not you engage in the housing market or in the debt market, you're still being affected by it. You're paying more for fuel, mm -hmm. more for mm -hmm. cars, mm -hmm. more for rent, more for food. Mm -hmm. And you can think of it like a treadmill. Debt creates a treadmill situation where the speed increases every every so often. In fact, you could argue yearly without inflation or at least every generation it goes up. Eventually, people can't keep up with the treadmill mm -hmm. and everyone falls off and society itself collapses. And so while I agree with every single thing Dylan said about personal responsibility and I seek to apply it to my life in a similar way, maybe not as in the exact same way, but very similar to Dylan, it's still not going to solve the issue. Uh, if everybody applied that personal responsibility, of course it would. But the concept of debt forgiveness in the Bible and in history recognized not everybody was going to do that. And periodically you need to take those burdens off people's backs. And to get to the point, will it just not cause people to not pay their debts? What it will cause is money lenders to give less money. So there's less debts to pay, which will drive down inflation, drive down costs. Not as many people will need to go into debt. Do you remember when a home cost $50,000? Yeah. I don't because I wasn't alive. That's how long ago it was. Yeah. <laughs> no, in, in Rockhampton, when I was you know, not long married, you could buy them that, that cheap. You know, We bought our first home was $60,000 in Rockhampton, so just a, a, a small home there. Uh, no, and I just to, if I could just respond to Matt because I, I fully understand where he's coming at, and I and I understand that on a practical basis, people will say, but I can practically pay less rent than a mortgage. So it makes perfect sense to do so. Yeah, we took a more, I guess, some more one might say extreme position where I just said, look, I'm not going to go into debt. I'm going to I'm going to live this by faith and see see how well it goes. Trust God. I preached it. I walked it. The, the rental arrangement we have, and people know I'm on an acreage, I have, you know, livestock there, I've got, I've got honey. It's a wonderful property. Uh, it's been a, a wonderful place for my children to grow up. The rental arrangement is unique, and it's one that came to us by the hand of God, you know. It's like it's, 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 awesome. it's cheap. It's, uh, it's a wonderful arrangement with the owner directly, without an agent involved. We've been there years. We can stay there as long as we like. Now, when we made a decision about this and to homeschool and to be debt-free, you don't see the fruit that's going to come later. You don't see those miracles happen. So true. You do it in faith. Yep. And then one door after another opens. And there are other things I could share as well about that. But uh, I, I think uh, what my Matt quoted from Romans there, you know, you said, uh, let no debt be except, outstanding except the debt of love. And I see another translation which says, owe no man anything except for the debt of love. So I've taken it that way. I don't want to owe anybody anything. Now, people have said, but what happens if you get into a situation, you need money, you do have to, like you said, Dave, sit there going, oh, God, help me. You know, you can go and ask your brother in the Lord or a family member or a brother in the Lord and say, look, I need money. I'm, I'm in trouble here. If you, I need $2,000 quickly. Yeah. You know, can you help me out? There's nothing wrong with that. Scripture supports that. I think all that, that, that Jesus would say in that situation is if I at some point can't pay you back, Dave, don't hold it to my account. Rather, let me release me for your sake and for my sake. Yeah. Um, because so here's it, the real test. But but you would never charge me interest. You're not a bank. You're not going to charge me usury for the for the for it. Yeah. And I'm not going to to an institution that has got blood on its hands. The banking system, as we know, has blood on its hands. 
And so you, what you're right, Matt, a lot of what this was about for me was a philosophical decision. I do not want to go into covenant with you. And I think it has been, it has kept me separate. I, I've also seen some spiritual applications, even in Revelation 18, Babylon, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her, partake in her sin and share in her plagues. I want to be a separate. It's kind of like we are in this world, yes, but we're not of it. And I want to, uh, and and uh, we're in a world that really is perilous times. There's judgments happening. There's, everything's going on. I'm in it, but I want to be as immune from all of that as possible because I've, I've made myself separate in my heart and, and before God, you know? So here's the, the mm. real test, and that yeah. is um, would you be that lender? <clears throat> what would that look like? Of course. Um, would you uh, lend to uh, family, friends, strangers, and, and what would the terms well, Dave, agreement Dave, be? Dave, you just gave me your denim jacket because I asked for it. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but you? Yeah. yeah, no, no, of course. So, let no, me, no, of course. Let me answer my own question and flick back to you. Yeah, okay. One of my passions is to teach my kids yeah. financial responsibility, yeah. and I have, yes. and to various degrees, they listen yeah. and, and follow. Um, but it, like one of them was extremely well set up yes. to uh, wait out the government tyranny yeah. of vaccine yeah. uh, apartheid. Um, he lost his job in mm. the food service industry. Yep. And his father said, as long as it takes, you have food and accommodation mm-hmm. and whatever you need yep. if you run out of money. Awesome. Yep. Um, now, however, he had already been for years living a a disciplined budget mm. which again was my instruction uh, never borrow mm-hmm. for or never borrow is generally what i said but mm. certainly never borrow for fun toys consumer depreciable assets um uh it started with him wanting to buy his first computer mm. um i will match you half i'm going to show you the power of saving mm. you save the money mm. don't borrow the money and i will give you mm. uh, as much as you save yes um, and he saved more than I could afford, but I, I kept my word and, mm. and we bought his first computer together. He wanted mm. the same deal a second time. I said, no deal. Mm. You save every dollar. Mm. Um, and he bought a really great computer. Mm. Uh, but come to the time where he lost his job, mm. he had holiday leave, sick leave. As a casual employee, mm. he had put aside and saved up his own um, amounts mm. for the unforeseeable futures, holiday mm. leave, sick leave, savings, entertainment, mm. investment. Um, all of those things, and part of his budget is mm. fun money every mm. week, stuff he can blow mm. without responsibility. It's just built in there. He wants mm. to enjoy his his work yeah. um, and, and the fruits of it, so he does that. Mm. Uh, and and now apartheid is lifted and he's back working and being diligent yeah. and, and saving again. Um, now, what I want to actually do with my kids mm. is I actually want to train them that your investment savings mm. are for your grandchildren. Mm. They're not for you. Mm. I mean, yeah, you should survive and live. Um, but one of the things the Jews do very well culturally, and this is a system God designed, is, is look after themselves and build generational wealth. Mm. Uh, and that's that kind of forward thinking that I've, I've started talking about with the election is see past mm. the horizon. Yeah. See past the horizon. What are we deliberately creating our future to be? Yeah. Um, dependent on government, banks, lenders, other people? No. We need living off the grid, which includes finance. Let's live away from all of that system and 
let's loan to each other as we need. Yeah. Um, if you need to borrow money from me yeah. to buy a car, I would much rather you did that than a bank. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's that kind of generosity. Yeah. Now, where I don't know I would go mm -hmm. is if you asked me for money for mm -hmm. a car loan. Mm -hmm. um, I think it would depend on what I could afford. Of course. Look, it, it's, it's, and that's why it, uh, I think, it, yeah, Paul says to Timothy, charge the rich, you know, to be, uh, to be not high-minded. And and they have a risk and, and generous, yeah. In this in this economic conversation, he doesn't mean charge; he means instruct. Yeah, instruct, instruct, instruct. You know, in a, in, in a strong not, way, not tax the rich. Because the, you know, <laughs> yeah, listen, some of <laughs> some of us are gifted in in those areas, and some of us are released into business, and some have economic, you know, um, wealth. And the Lord just wants us to to use. That. We've got to look at a, a kingdom economics. Uh, situation and, and and in our own walk, Dave and I haven't, by the grace of God, had to go up to someone and ask them to do what I just gave an example to borrow the money. But if I had to do that, I would go to my brother and go and rather than go to the bank. I found when we went, when we made a decision to get out of debt and to live that way, it made us much more transparent and honest in our dealings. So it, we went through a very difficult time financially around that time. We went through fire to come out of debt. And I could go through the different miracles. I, I sold a house. We got out. But, but it's detoxing, isn't it's it? Detoxing. It's detoxing. It's testing. It's, it's testing. testing. And yeah. here's the thing. There would be occasions where someone would say, oh, can you come and do that? And I'd say, look, we'd love to come, but quite frankly, we haven't got enough fuel in the car to do it. Yeah, yeah. But, but rather than put on the it's credit way card. To get out of family events. It, it, it worked <laughs> quite a few times until I started giving us fuel money. No, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but, but if you just put it on the credit card, if you know what I mean, you are – you are masking something, and our our society is good at that. We, you know, you've heard it, fake it till you make it, and all this kind of thing. It's, it's something right. we we do well. So why not be more honest and transparent? And let, let me tell you this: in since we made that decision, we have seen some beautiful things happen. Amen. We have given away cars, awesome. right? And I'm not saying because we had multiple cars and we had to. No, we did it in faith and because we felt it was the right thing to do, and we saw a need, and 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 the relationship that was. That came out of that was was beautiful, a bond that only God could do. But at the same time, we've received cars, and uh, we so it's it's a, an economy of give and receive yeah. uh, rather than buy and sell. It's sow and reap, no, and God's I, economy. it's God's, God's economy. And we need to rediscover it more. And I think what's happened is, as Christians, it's like I sometimes think it's like Hebrews living in Egypt. We're reliant on a system, and we don't we've forgotten who we are. Yeah. You know, when Moses came to the, the Hebrews that were in slavery in Egypt and he told them about what God had promised them, it said they could not hear him, get this, because of their harsh slavery and their bitter bitter um, um, judgments or something. They could not actually even hear Moses. You know, they, he was trying to tell them something and that's why they rejected him Yeah, uh, because of, of the fact they were in there treading out mud bricks every day, building Pharaoh's store cities when they had a destiny to be in the wilderness worshipping him and being a nation unto themselves. Yep. I think there's some parallels for us. I think the sooner we can get ourselves as Christians out of this banking system and out of this corrupt world system, the world in its current form is passing away and, yep. and we need to be uh, immune from it as possible. And that's important. And this comes back to the personal responsibility thing. The less of us who engage in it, the less power they have, the less influence they have, the yes. less they're able to take control of other people's finances. Hey, you'll like this, Dave. Uh, you you probably say this often, but you, you'll point out one of the key characteristics of the conservative side is uh, focus on freedom uh, and liberty. Well, it is in the last two years. But in, 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 in you know, A small government is definitely a feature. It's not, not no government, not anarchy, but 
but yeah, it, it's just stay out of our lives and stay in your box. Yeah. So do you know what the original meaning of the word liberal meant? Loose. One who was free <laughs> with their money mm. and generous. Mm. Really? And you know what the original meaning of the word liberty meant? Freedom from debt. Mm. Wow. And this is why I say these are conservative principles. We've just lost them. We've forgotten them. And one of the reasons why I brought, you know, I know this is a video and bringing up books on a video isn't always the thing to do. But the reason I brought this book with me is because I knew about some of this stuff and I knew it from the scriptures. But one of the important things that we see in and forgive them their debts, it's not just a scriptural principle. Ancient societies <laughs> knew this. In fact, think of Mesopotamia, the ancient, like what, what we do, I'll call Iraq and Iran, these places where Babylon was, right? These societies were built in precarious positions. Yet they lasted for centuries, even millennia. And one of the reasons they were so stable for so long is because they forgave debts mm -hmm. regularly. And because and, and think about this, right? Australia's not a very old country. It's not very old at all. And America's not a very old country. And you know what? China is using that against us right now. Exactly. Debt slavery. Exactly. They are conquering the world through our wallets and they, they don't it. even need to land a foot on australian shores they own half of us already they mm. learned it from us and what and we've seen these modern western nations which were these bastions of wealth and, and prosperity and liberty starting to fracture because they're not reigning in debts because they haven't learned the wisdom mm -hmm. uh, they haven't learned the wisdom switch chris uh, <laughs> they haven't learned the wisdom that uh these ancient societies knew you mentioned uh, the, the jews about in their forgiveness before but i would argue the amish are even better at it yeah uh, one of the things the amish do and this is beautiful i've got people in my church who love the amish and i did some of my um postgraduate studies on on the mennonites when when the amish uh um have a new couple who come to start their life you know what they do this is what they do they give them a house they build them land wow. they build them a house on it and they start them off life debt free. When what happens? When, oh. when they get married. When a young couple. Yeah, get married. that's what I want to do with my kids Look too. Look at that. That that's beautiful. And now, what do we do? We do the opposite. We tell them get in debt for a degree that might be worthless. Get in debt for a car. Get in credit card debt. And try What's to up, get yourself out of it for the rest microphone. of the Microphone. Mm. Let me check your mic, Matt. No, we haven't got you on. It was on before. Turn out a battery. Because it was on. Was it? Okay. We're yeah. just turning his microphone back on to solve it. Could people hear me? Yeah. Uh, Daniel said it's hard to hear you. He would have heard you at least through me and Dylan's yeah. works. Yeah. Well, let me say that last bit again because this is really important. I have one and quick then, response. Yeah. And then when you jump in, what the Amish do when their young couples get married is they give them land, they build them a house on it, and they start life debt free. And they're one of the wealthiest communities in the world. Yeah. And they live simply. I'm not saying we have to live like the Amish technologically, <laughs> but culturally. There's something to be... Look, we need yeah. massive culture change. There are so many areas we need massive culture change. And Dylan, applause to what you and Fiona have done because mm. that's absolutely what I mm. advocate. Mm. Is, is This is a Stalinist idea that women have to be in the workforce. Mm. It's an yes. absolute Stalinist idea. Mm. Uh, that who is who Albo is channeling when he says we need to get more women yeah. in the workforce. More childcare. We need to close the gender pay gap and everything else like this. Absolute rubbish. Mm. Women should be able to make whatever choice they want, mm. but let them make their choice. If they want to work, let them work. Mm. If they want to stay at home, facilitate, encourage, and empower them to stay at home mm -hmm. and have all the benefits 
of somebody else who you describe as participating in the economy. Of course they're participating in the economy. They're creating taxpayers and producers and consumers, and they're doing the government job of raising when they're doing the job which benefits government. It is not the government job. I misspoke. It is the parents' job to raise virtuous citizens because democracy will absolutely fail with a citizenship, a demos that is not virtuous. It can only work. Otherwise, it turns into a malevolent form of government, which is exactly why uh, the government got away in Victoria and Queensland and South Australia and Western Australia and, and various places. They got away with totally transgressing our civil liberties over the last two years people are already slaves. is because the government was occurring with the permission of the governed. And that is because uh, we had a lazy, lethargic, ignorant citizenship who believed respecting the government was the highest good instead of the government being in its God-ordained boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, I actually want to move on. We're at eight minutes towards the end of what I want to do. Um, but I've got an important video from Dylan uh, where he spoke at a freedom uh, rally at the Gold Coast uh, on Saturday, just gone by. Um, and look, guys, we're just practicing, trying to get this show developed and honed, and we're trying to get three or four uh, conversations under an hour. Um, but we're going to go over the hour mark today because we need to, and and uh, we're not going to create a, a master out of some of these objectives. Um, so um, we will, uh, lots of people saying that they can hear Matt. He's got a good projecting uh, projecting voice there. But uh, Chris, when you're ready, uh, roll that video and um, we will have a chat about it in uh, when it's finished. Our first speaker from the Freedom Movement, uh, Dylan Oakley, and he's also going to open uh, today with a prayer. Welcome, Dylan. Welcome to the stage. Our first speaker from the Freedom Movement, uh, Dylan Oakley, and he's also going to open uh, today with a prayer. Welcome, Dylan. Give him a big hand. Thanks so much, Jamie. Looks like uh, this is a little wet for my notes, but that's all right. Uh, well, there was no way that any amount of rain was going to wash away our hopes and... Welcome to the stage, our first speaker from the Freedom Movement, uh, Dylan Oakley, and he's also going to open uh, today with a prayer. Welcome, Dylan. Give him a big hand. Thanks so much, Jamie. Looks like uh, this is a little wet for my notes, but that's all right. Uh, well, there was no way that any amount of rain was going to wash away our hopes and dreams. Amen. There was no deluge of rain today that was ever going to extinguish the fire in our bellies to see political change in this nation. There was no weather event that could ever dampen our resolve to send a message to the major parties at this election that they're out and the minor parties are in. So what we have here today are the dedicated and the committed, and I know many who would want to be here with us but couldn't make it because of flooding and, and roads flooded and whatnot. But for every one of us, I think it's got to represent not just 10, but we probably represent 100 people each at least who would have loved to have been here today with us in the rain. All across this nation, rain, hail and shine, there are rallies taking place and they represent a democratic revolution that is underway. I'm, I'm Dylan Oakley from Freedom Has A Voice and I'm honoured to be here today to open this event with a word of encouragement and with prayer. You know, there was a Spectator magazine survey 
of February, March this year that was released yesterday, the results, they surveyed 26,000 respondents and of those respondents who were vaccinated, 77% said they felt extreme pressure to take an injection that they did not want and the main reason was to keep their job. 77%. And of the unvaccinated in that survey, almost half of them felt extreme pressure. Extreme pressure, does that equal freedom of choice or not? So the context of this rally and rallies around this nation today is that rogue governments and corporations have arrogantly tried to inject us with something we do not want to be injected with. We have bodily autonomy. It is sacred. It's our freedom birthright. You can't have it. It's not for sale. And it's pure evil that you would try and plunder it off us. Particularly at the threat of our jobs and our livelihood. That's the, that's the context to which I'm speaking to. I'm a teacher of 23 years. I'm barred from a, a classroom in Queensland. I've taught at university. I've given blood, sweat and tears to the education department in this state. And my livelihood, my career, my income has been stripped off me because I refuse to surrender my bodily autonomy to a rogue state ALP government. The survey goes on to say that 52% of respondents in that survey of 26,000, get this, 52% voted for major parties in 2019. Now when the survey asks them what are their intentions for 2022, do you know how many are going to vote for the majors out of that 26,000? 5%! 5%, forget about 5% for the minor parties, try 5% for the major parties at this election. It's a democratic revolution underway. Um, I've got a spanner here, I often take a spanner these days when I'm talking to people because I like to use it as a prop, I'm a teacher, remember. We have a very real opportunity in this election to take a spanner and throw it in the works. Have you heard that before? Throw a spanner in the works. Well, let's take a freedom spanner and throw it right in the works of oppression and tyranny and segregation and give the globalists a headache. Let's put minor parties into our federal parliament to hold the balance of power and keep them honest in Canberra. They're all in it together, the LNP, the ALP and the Greens, they're in it together and they can be thrown out together as far as I'm concerned. Truly it's no exaggeration to say that darkness has descended on our nation at the start of 2020. That's when the war started. It was a war for, on our minds, on our dignity, on our Aussie spirit, on our basic humanity and on our God-given freedoms. Psychological warfare, fueled by lies, and propaganda, communist-style control in the form of lockdowns. Where did that come from? And human rights abuses, fear-mongering by rogue governments at the federal level and the state level, and the media, and shameless profiteering by Big Pharma. We have endured the biggest assault on individual freedoms and Christian conscience in our nation's history. But this is not how it ends. We refuse to let it end like this. There was an American preacher in the 1800s, mid-1800s, by the name of Edwin Hubble Shapin, and he said, out of suffering have emerged the strongest souls. 
The most massive characters are those seamed with scars. So each one of us standing out here today and whom you represent and the people you know out there are testaments to the character and the strong souls that emerge out of suffering. Millions of Australians have rediscovered some power through this period. This is a silver lining that we see. We've rediscovered the power of an informed vote. We have the ability to truly throw a spanner in the works at this election. So many people are saying for the first time, I'm interested in politics, what can I do? How do I vote? Let's get the job done. Let's get our country back. So we've rediscovered the power of the vote and the power of political action. I certainly have. I've been in Canberra. I've been in Korokai. I've, been, I've camped at Musgrave Park and protested out the front of the state uh, government there. So we're rediscovering the power of political action. We've also rediscovered the power of community and relationships. And I'm so blessed to have met and, and got to know so many of you, uh, both face to face and through the social media platform I have called Freedom Has a Voice. We're rediscovering the power of community and relationship. And that is a true blessing. We have marched together in historic numbers. We've camped together and lived together in historic numbers. We've braved mud together in places like Korokai and New South Wales in the flood relief. We've protested together. We've had each other's backs and we've borne each other's burdens and we've cried together. And that is the power of community and relationships that is springing out of this time of oppression and tyranny. And thirdly, we've rediscovered the power of faith. For many of us, We've returned to the Lord and discovered that when we do, he's waiting there for us with open arms. There is one who sticks closer to, than a brother, and his name is Jesus Christ. I've been asked to open this rally in prayer, because with all the resources we have, the most important resource we, we can ever have is the power of God, the author of our freedom. We need him in this fight. Trust me, when you see the enemy at our gate, you know we need God himself in this fight. And he has endowed every one of us with bodily autonomy and freedom of choice. He created us that way. He cares that those freedom birthrights are respected by governments and corporations alike. Rogue governments and proud corporations that assail our God-given freedoms and bodily autonomy assail God himself. So the message is, back off in Jesus' name. Repent and make restitution. There's a scripture from 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14. It says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And it's it's in the, in the spirit of that, of that passage in the scripture that I want to pray now and open this event. And I'm looking forward to hearing these freedom-loving, freedom-honoring, freedom-valuing candidates come up and tell us how they're going to get our country back, how they're going to take decent, everyday Australian values down to Canberra, how they're going to push back on this globalist agenda and how we're going to give them all a headache down there because of what we've been through. Let's pray together, guys. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you humbly, just like that scripture that I quoted. We need your help in this. 
You have endowed each one of us with freedom, not once, only when you created us, but twice. Even when humanity fell into sin as a human race, you restored our freedom through your son, Jesus Christ. When he came and lived amongst us, died on that cruel cross at Calvary, was buried and then rose again. And you've given us that ability to have his power in each one of us. We're asking you, Father, that you would shake this nation so that righteousness may again be restored. Draw us as a people, Lord, to once again come and humbly seek your face, to pray, to turn from our wicked ways. I'm asking, Lord, that revival would sweep through this nation like a fire and burn up all the dross and reveal the true gold, the treasure that's in each one of us. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, even through this, the tyranny or even through the oppression that you have a wonderful way of turning what the devil meant for our harm and turning it into good to save a nation. We need you. We thank you. And uh, we bless your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Uh, Dylan, fantastic job. <clears throat> what I really like there uh, is that, and one of the other things I do, by the way, for those people who don't know me, my name is Dave Pello um, on Facebook mostly, uh, but also YouTube um, and other social media channels at Dave Pello. Um, but one of the other things I do is every year I convene a, a Christian political conference. It's a very rare type of conference. Uh, it's not a church conference and it's not a typical uh, political conference either. It's a, a real hybrid of the two uh, called the Church and State Summit. Um, former Deputy Prime Minister John Anderson uh, spoke at the first one and he's actually one of the uh, tentatively confirmed speakers for the next one, uh, which, by the way, is the first weekend in March, um, save the date. But part of the Church and State Summit is inspired by something that Martin Luther King said in, in one of his uh, famous sermons. He's a, a reverend, uh, not just a, a social um, activist of, of his time. Um, but Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, spoke uh, about the, the prophetic zeal of the church. Um, and that's something that uh, Dylan was demonstrating right there, <clears throat> the prophetic zeal. Now, a lot of uh, people might not understand the full um, definitions of the word prophecy uh, or to prophesy. And it's not just about future telling um, and things that may or may not come true or, or that you should avoid if you don't change behaviour. Um, prophesying and prophecy is also about declaring truth, about declaring uh, the word of God, about advocating for justice and and the Bible is full of the prophets, not just future telling, but actually rebuking the authorities and those who are in power, the kings uh, and, and judges, and actually saying, uh, you know what, this is what God's word is for you, and this is how you should do things. And this is what Martin Luther King said. He said, the church must be reminded it is not the master or the servant of the state. It is the conscience of the state. Uh, and this is something that Dylan very clearly did there. And he basically said, government, you have got it wrong. You are sinning. You are in wickedness. You are in rebellion against God, his will, his ways, his justice, his peace, his liberty. You are transgressing and repentance is required. And, and that word means a complete 180 degree revolution, turn away from what you are doing and back towards the, the ways of God. 
and that is, you know, Dylan, well done. Um, and I'm really, really proud of the freedom people that they gave you space for, for that voice of the church, that <clears throat> prophetic zeal. Yeah. Yeah, and it and it and it very much was that they gave space for that, Dave. Uh, they invited me to uh, to not only open in prayer, uh, but to speak as well. And they've uh, well versed there in in where I stand and my strong faith in God and and the fact that we need Him in this fight. And they were good enough to give me the platform at the start there. So, and the feedback was wonderful, Dave. In just I mentioned in that speech this power of faith that's being rediscovered by people in what I call the freedom community. These are people I've come to know and love, and uh, and I've, as I mentioned, that speech marched with these people, um, camped with them. Uh, we, we've we've borne each other's burdens, we've cried together, we've laughed together, we've sung together, and uh, and what's also happening is we're we're rediscovering faith together. And a lot of people have come up to me and said, Dylan, you know, I've never been a religious person, or I'm uh, I'm, I'm not. You know, I don't really believe in God, but I'm listening to what you're saying. Others have said they've have said to me uh, via the page, "Look, I've gone back to church for the first time uh, for a long time." I, and I remember one lady commenting and saying, "I went in and surprise, surprise, the wall, the roof didn't fall in on me." And these things, Dave, are, are what makes it all worthwhile. It's not something that, and here's, and this is why I sense that I have an open door in this community. It's because I'm not going in there with my number one goal being to say evangelize or to to turn people to God and to faith, not at all. I'm there because I'm fighting for the same thing that we're all fighting for there. I'm feeling the same pain that everyone's feeling, that our governments have gone rogue, like you mentioned, Dave. Mm. They've transgressed. The word is transgressed. Uh, government have a place, and in, an, in, an, in a health emergency, I would expect government to have a response. Uh, and I'm even comfortable with government, you know, coming up in, in connection with, you know, pharmaceutical companies with a vaccine if they think that's a good idea. But where they get it wrong is that they have not got the balance right between a government health response and uh, individual freedoms and personal liberties. And uh, in, in essentially the fundamental uh, tenet of medical ethics, which is bodily autonomy, and the right to make an informed decision about medical treatments that we receive. I mean, even what the immunisation handbook says around any, any immunisation must be given and received without incentivization, without coercion or the authority, the consent is not valid. You can go through human rights, you can go through the constitution as Augusto Zimmerman. I listened to uh, a podcast between uh, uh, Professor Augusto Zimmerman, the WA Law Reform Commissioner, and George Christensen recently, and uh, he articulated that even constitutionally there's a problem with what the governments are doing. So the, the, the issue is not that governments don't have a role and a place, they do. But they have a boundary, and they and they and when they transgress that, it falls on the responsibility falls on the church yep. to speak up and to yep, do sure their job. Right. Now, if you look at a type in the Old Testament, you see I've always called Elijah a type of the church. You know, and, and when uh, Ahab and Jezebel got it so very wrong, Elijah would speak up uh, boldly without fear or favor. He was not trying to get something from the king. He was not looking and he was not uh, afraid of them, uh, and he was often called the troubler of Israel. Is the church today still called the troubler of the government or not? Now, it, Elijah didn't set out to make trouble. He even said that I'm not the one making trouble, but it's you, Absolutely. Ahab, and your idolatries and the harlotry, harlotries of your wife Jezebel that are causing the problem in this nation. I'm just calling it out. And that was and, spiritual harlotry, right? 
Yeah. It yeah. wasn't that she was sleeping around. No. It was that she was unfaithful to God. She she did bring a lot of sexual immorality into uh into into Israel. And in tradition says, and Matt might might have come up, up with this seen this as well. Tradition yeah. is that she put um it's both. both, yeah. Yeah, okay. So she she actually had painted on Ahab's chariot uh pictures of naked women. That's what tradition says. Someone would say, Why would you do that? Because when men, when and this is another whole topic, but when a man gets caught up in lust, it's another form of slavery. Not unlike what we talked talked about with debt, there is there there are ways that that Satan enslaves mankind. And I've as a as a man just humbly walking with God as a pilgrim on this earth, I want to be free in so many ways. So this whole freedom movement, Dave, is not something that I kind of you know came across six months ago because I lost my job or whatever. It's been something that's burned in me. And I guess it's manifested itself in the area of debt. And it's also in my own personal disciplines because I've understood even around this lust area, this uh, sexual immorality that, that that's, you know, perverse and throughout our nation at the moment, these are the things that keep mankind enslaved yeah. you know, and keep us from being prophetically sharp and bold. The righteous are as bold as a lion. I want to throw to Matt mm. um, with uh, get your comments on, on this. In relation to the uh i guess the the rebuking of oppressors um that that prophetic zeal um that martin luther king spoke about being the conscience of the state um i, I guess what room is there uh in light of this verse that's on the screen now for commentary criticism critique and even scathing uh character assassination of uh, those people who are in power so this is 1 timothy chapter 2 and the new king james version it says from verse 2, Therefore I exhort of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness uh, and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour. Now, the, the reason I've got this uh, up on the screen is because a um, ordained minister who needed to tell me he was an ordained minister uh, quoted this verse at me as if to correct me for the tone and conversations um, that I've been having, essentially scathingly critical of uh, of the the bad government that we've endured uh, that is is frequently just getting things wrong. Um, and I'm certainly open to to correction when when um, uh, brought accurately and and with a good interpretation. Um, so you're an ordained minister, um, as is half of the Anglican and Uniting Church, uh, which have uh, a different interpretation on a lot of scriptures to me. But um, you are also one of the authors, and this is incredibly relevant, of the Ezekiel Declaration and the book uh, soon to be published. Um, what's it called? Defending Conscience. Defending Conscience. And you, so you've, you've done a lot of study yeah. on, on the church's resistance to tyranny and oppression of liberty mm. over through history. So um, how do you interpret this verse and, and are there any other like it from which we can form a, a doctrine that we should withhold criticism from Nazis, Marxists, mm. socialists, the Taliban, the Labor Party and the Liberal Party? Yeah, so because we'd want to be consistent in our interpretation, wouldn't we? Yeah, we want to be consistent. We don't want to set the Bible against itself. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, first of all, then I urge you to never criticize the government, never to say anything bad about anyone in power, never to critique a policy, never to have a voice in politics. That's not what it says. Right. Correct. 
what it says is, I urge you to pray, to intercede, to give thanks for all people. So we want to pray for people's salvation. We want to pray for good for people. We even want to pray for the salvation of our enemies yep. and for kings and for all that are in high positions. And what are we praying for? What are we praying for? That we may seek, that we may have a, a peaceful and quiet life. So in other words, Timothy is really this is really applying. One of the desires of a Christian life should be to be left alone <laughs> to follow the words of God. Correct? Left alone by government. Yeah, left alone the by government. We should, and we should pray alone. for the kind of leaders who are going to leave us alone. Now, if that mm. were the only thing the scriptures said about engaging with leaders, then maybe that minister who I don't have a clue who that is spoke to you would have a point. But that is not even close to the only thing. I'll give you some other examples of what the Bible says. So, for example, this is Psalm 94. And we are also told to pray the Psalms, correct? Correct. Are we supposed to pray? Yeah. Pray, pray, sing, teach the Psalms. Listen to this. Psalm 94, 20 to 21. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? Those mm. who frame injustice by statute. Mm -hmm. Some translations say injustice mm. by decree or wickedness by decree. They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. Mm. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. I mean, th that psalm is teaching us to criticize unrighteous degrees. And now we come to Isaiah chapter 10. And this has been one of my favorite passages to show people who go, oh, what about Romans 13? Romans 13 or yeah. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Mm -hmm. These are important passages. We shouldn't scorn any passage. I just want to go a bit slower so we can yep. put that um, verse up on the screen. What verse was it? 90. 10? Uh, uh, it's 20 to 21, I think. Oh, 20 94. to 21. 94. Yep. Is it? Uh, yeah, there it is. 20. Yeah, which, yeah, there we go. Just, I love got, to, the way uh, that just got to share that. Shall I have fellowship with <laughs> you? Bear with yeah. me, guys. I just want to share this with you. So we're, I quoted uh, that verse at another speech I did, in fact, <laughs> outside yeah. the Queensland Parliament. So, yeah. It, Look at that. Shall the throne of iniquity, which mm. devises evil mm -hmm. by law. Yeah. You know, this is an important point. And actually, I'm glad Dave slowed us down here. Although mm. um, we're going to see Isaiah say the exact same thing. Mm. That which is lawful is not always that which is good. Righteous. Because yeah. what is the origin of law? What is the origin of law? The origin of law is God mm. and his laws. Yeah. And mm. human flaw is to reflect and extend the righteousness of God's laws into this world. And Western societies, and we write about this in some, some degree in our book, Defending Conscience, how Baptists reminded the church to defy tyranny. That's the full title. Yeah, uh, We write about this. Western nations are a rule of law society. And that is the kind of society <clears throat> where governors are not the law, prime ministers are not the law, politicians are not the law, judges are not the law. They are servants of the law, yeah. which sits above them. And if you read the Australian Constitution, it's by Almighty God. It refers at the very beginning this is done in the name of Almighty God, the God of the Scriptures. It was written by people who most of them were from the old Church of England. Yep. So this is an important concept to understand. Rulers have a responsibility to make righteous decrees. And I love what Isaiah says. And this is you're going to love this, Isaiah 10. Mm. Dylan, because this is basically what you said. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan sounded a lot like Isaiah. And as you were speaking, this is what I was thinking. Verse which? Isaiah 10, verses 1 to 2. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees yeah. and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn mm. aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right. The Bible's not focused on yeah. rights. Really? On. Did, did I just read that? Mm. What did it say? To de de deny them of their right, what they are mm. owed. Mm -hmm. 
that our it's rights, good, our rights are not selfish things. Mm-hmm. They're what the government owes us mm-hmm. because they're representatives of God. Mm-hmm. And as David said many times, he's loved his neighbor by advocating for their rights. Mm-hmm. And if we don't 100%. advocate for people's rights, 100%. how can we truly be saying that we love our neighbor? Wow. And people say, well, okay, come on, Matt, come on. That's not the focus of the church. Well, you are foolish to think that way because it was the church who taught society the importance of these kinds of rights. Yep. And the church has forgotten this. And that's why Tim, who's my co-author of the book, Defending Conscience, that's why we wrote this book. We want to remind people that, I mean, and it wasn't just the Baptist church. And we point out how other Christians in the book as well did certain things. But on the particular issue of liberty of conscience, it was the Baptist and the Anabaptists first who brought that idea into the uh, into the, uh, the Christian discussion. And then it was the Anglicans who made it mainstream. And particularly one, one Anglican called John Locke. Yep. But look at this again. Yeah. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil and that may be far, make the fatherless their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment and the ruin that will come from afar? God is watching. Yes. And this is the concept of a rule of law society that there is a higher law above any of our leaders and his name is Jehovah or Yahweh or God Almighty. Mm. And he is watching over the rulers of our land and he will call them to account. And you know who else he will call to account? And Dylan said this, the church, Mm. for how they respond to the wickedness of the rulers. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's I believe it's in 1 Peter, it talks about the fact that (laughs) if judgment begins with the household of God, how yes. much worse will it be for those who do not believe? Mm-hmm. And what's, what this is pointing out here is that when God judges a nation or judges a society, he sifts the church. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this question. Yep. Was the church just sifted? Was the church just sifted? Absolutely. And how did it respond? Shut well, the doors. It, it shut the doors and became uh, it, it became an agent of the state. Mm-hmm. And the role of the church is not to be an agent of the state. And it was Baptists and Anabaptists who taught western society that and that became one of the founding principles of our society that's why you know let me pick up on what you're saying because you, you really could go on forever about yeah, this. Could. you could even write a book can, on can, it. can i Sorry, dave, I dave can... can i just add one scripture there please no it's my turn no it's not your it's not your turn dave that's the what's, thing. what's the scripture i'll put it on the screen okay it's isaiah uh it's isaiah we're one, a good start isaiah 1 verse 17 love this scripture and so we're in the Isaiah at the moment because yeah you Let's, let's focus on the side. I'm loving it, Matt, because uh, I'm looking at this one here. It says, uh, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the, oppressor. rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, and plead for the widow. Uh, and here's another one for, for Isaiah uh, to, to comment on what Matt just said about the church. I think you even said, have they been asleep and the sifting and that. You look at Isaiah uh, chapter, uh, where is it, 56. Dave, verse 10. Let's just stick with Isaiah for a second here. It says here, his watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. I think it goes on to say. That's that's why the Ezekiel Declaration's subtitle was Watchmen. Yeah. And look, it says here, look. It's time to speak. It's time to stand or something like that. Come. One says, I'll bring wine. We will fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow will be as today and much more abundant. 
This is a picture of uh, watchmen, people who should have been speaking. This is where the voice of the church should be the conscience of the state. Conscience They're of... all dumb dogs. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's a dumb dog? Look, I have, I have sheep the other night, a wild dog came and attacked. Now, if you have a good it dog. It doesn't mean stupid dogs. It means mute. mute. Yes. So my dog Quiet. should have, in fact. They don't even, they not. You, you've heard uh, mm. that dog's bark is worse than his bite. Yeah. These dogs not only don't have a bite, they don't even have a bark. That's where we're going with this. So a good dog is going to bark and let you know there's danger and there's trouble. And yeah. the, and any farmer wants a really good dog. And my dog's a wonderful dog, but he was inside with us the other night when this happened. So, uh, yeah, but this this is the – so, yes, Matt, this is a sifting process and this is a wake-up for the church. And I've sensed even in my own ministry with what I'm doing that my gaze is – starting to go off government and corporations only towards the church Yep. because I sense that's the heart of God now. Not Repentance is not only required of government and corporation and this disaster that we've all experienced, but it's also a repentance is required for the church where they were silent. Even Mahatma Gandhi, who was not a Christian, but he said silence becomes cowardice when something needs to be spoken and acted on and you don't do it, yep. it reflects itself now as cowardice. So whether it's Gandhi or Mah uh, 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 Martin Luther King Jr. or the church, the scriptures everywhere, people are required to be courageous, to speak up, not just because something is right or wrong, but because compassion for, for the oppressed demands that they speak. Absolutely. Demands that they speak and and whatever cost comes. So if it's about, well, I don't want to get in trouble, I don't want to be fined, I don't want to be put in jail, I don't want to even, sometimes it's just like I don't want to lose my reputation, I don't want to lose my tax-free status, whatever it is. I don't want to be accounted with uh, the anti-vaxxers. I I, that's right. It could be just I don't want to be labelled an anti-vaxxer. I mean, these are incredible reasons why somebody would not lift their voice and speak yeah. up. Uh, I mentioned before the show, David Stephen Shavur, and maybe one time we can speak to him because I know he's another voice that has felt exactly what we're talking about here because he's lifted his voice. Yeah, he's felt uh, some reputation loss around that. Sorry, Matt, I'll, I'll let you go again. Uh, uh, no, you, you, everything you're saying is brilliant and and it's correct. And this is the amount of pressure that was put on people not to speak. Dave's put up a Just passage you, on the screen. Uh, mm. Dave's just opened up to one another passage I was going to read. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights. Yes. Just, you know, coming back to Timothy, we don't want to. We don't want to say Proverbs thirty-one for yeah. those wanting to play at home. Proverbs thirty-one. But it's Proverbs thirty-one verse eight. Uh, open your mouth, judge righteously. Verse nine. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. And I want to point out this is important because we're not playing Bible verse Bible here. Mm -hmm. These passages don't contradict one Timothy chapter two. Correct. One Timothy chapter two should be an important part of our prayer time. We want to pray. Look, we want to pray for the good of someone like Scott Morrison and pray for him to have wisdom. Finally, <laughs> to have we want to pray. <laughs> we want to pray for people like Anthony Albanese, although Absolutely. he's technically not one of our leaders, he is a representative in parliament. We want to pray for our premiers. We and we want to pray that we would have the kinds of leaders who enable us to live a quiet life and leave us alone. I, I wrote in a piece for Dave that I'm not. Really, I don't really. I mean, I'll talk about politics, and I have an opinion. I keep myself informed, but it's not my favorite uh, thing to get in, involved in. And people said to me, "Matt, you've become so political in the last couple of years." I'm like, no, 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 no. Politics moved into my world yeah, like right. a battering ram, good, good and point. I'm I'm simply standing strong. Yeah, that's not true. It's always been in your world, and you just didn't know it until it was uncomfortable. And David is right, and that's what we learned. Yeah, we learned that politics had more of a hold over us mm -hmm. than we w wanted to admit. So you are correct. <laughs> and, and can I just say that um, there's lots of people
who have been in this space trying to put our arms around pastors and parishioners and pew warmers for many years um, and say, you can't ignore politics, you can't ignore politics, you can't ignore politics. The church has a prophetic voice. We have to be the conscience of the state. We have to have an opinion. And you can't just start caring when it makes you uncomfortable. Your job as Christians, and if you're not a Christian, as a patriot, is to care about everybody else, not your own comfort, your own pocket, your own wallet, your own body autonomy, but to care about your neighbours, mm. to care about the people beside you. This is the fundamental um, doctrine of the Australian army is, and you might not even understand this, it's not so much about your mate at home. Uh, it's not about your family. It's not about your your king country or anything else like that. It's about the mate beside you in the trench. Yep. That's the person from the very beginning they train you to be entirely concerned about yep. and caring about and reliant upon. <clears throat> so, I mean, there's a lesson there in not relying on the government, but it's the patriotic thing to do. Certainly the Christian thing to do is to care about other people, about those people who are depending on you for their liberty and their life. And, and this is where people like the Australian Christians, who I want to do a plug for, coming under fire for, for the most spurious of trivial, trivial criticisms, um, they have been in the trenches fighting the enemy with the enemy in their sights for many, 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 many years. And it's people like this who've been trying to say to Christians, we have a duty of care and responsibility to promote life, liberty and justice in this nation. They've been in the politicians' faces, in the parliament, in meetings for years and years and years. That voice of conscience that has been saying to them, screaming at them, don't do abortion, don't do euthanasia, don't take away these rights, don't do this, don't do that. And, and there's been many other parties like that. So the Christian Democrats for so many years were, were advocating for justice and for God's standards and the best outcome for policy uh, in this nation. Uh, and uh, just if you have one of those candidates in your electorate, uh, I want you to think about them, but not to derail from, from this conversation right now, and that is that Christians absolutely have always been involved in politics. Uh, you know, if you're a radical atheist, hate theist, secularist, um, uh, getting really upset and offended at me right now that I'm bringing the word of God, scripture, theology, religion into politics, they have never been separated. Yep. Uh, the, the concept separation of church and state means only and absolutely religious liberty. That all, that's all it means. It doesn't mean separation of politics and religion. In fact, politics is all about a moral code by which we treat other people and how we, you know, don't damage other people's property, life or, or, or things. You know, you, you can't kill people. You can't steal babies. They're, that's what laws are all about. They're a moral code uh, which keeps peace between us all. And that's exactly what religion is concerned about. It's a moral code which says the same thing. And so for those to say those things aren't related and have no business dealing with each other is just a ridiculous statement. But um, what we've found out in this last two years is that all of us have always been interested in politics um, and politics has always been interested in us. Um, but most of us didn't know until five minutes ago that we have to care and we have to be involved and we have to be influential mm -hmm. and we have to have a voice because if we are silent, 
somebody else is speaking on our behalf. Mm. If we don't fill in every box on the Senate ballot above the line or beneath the line, at the point we stop numbering boxes, six above or 12 below, as the Greens designed it, if that's all you do, that's the point at which you stop having a say. And somebody who numbers every box is going to be in that conversation still when you're not, and that will benefit the Greens. Another little plug there, please number every box, because whether you do or don't, um, you're, sorry, if you don't, uh, your vote will end up uh, helping the Greens. And, and that's another conversation I don't want to get into right now. But I'm sorry that was long, Matt. Um, but I just okay. wanted to pick up on that, that um, you've said you weren't interested in, in politics in the past and people are, are worried about it now. Um, and I'm not even trying to correct you. You, you said it all perfectly. Yeah, you got it right. But this is certainly a place we need to be. Here's the, here's the lesson is are we going to stop caring when government gets out of our life? Are we going to stop caring about policies that affect other people but not us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what's, what's selfish? Selfish is giving up the rights of your grandchildren because you're afraid in the moment. Yep. That is selfish. 100%. And that's why we have to care. It's not caring because we want to get the party in that we're favourable of. <laughs> it's because we want to preserve the traditions that our grandparents preserved for us. And this is the thing. In a moment of anxiety, we threw out all of the achievements that our ancestors have achieved for us. That's selfish. Mm. That's the definition of selfish. I'm afraid now, therefore nothing matters until I don't feel afraid. Mm -hmm. That is that no society can sustain any kind of liberty with that kind of perspective. And I'm not a libertarian. People like people have responded. I'm actually not a libertarian. I'm actually more more accurately called. Uh, myself would be called theocratic. I believe that we should be learning from God's word and applying it to our society. <laughs> so I'm not a libertarian. But did you know the Bible only has 613 laws? And we have tens of thousands. And part of the reason that That's is, ridiculous, isn't is it? we don't pay attention and they just pass burden after burden after burden. Right. And, and several years ago, they passed in these particular pandemic laws and nobody was really paying attention. Nobody was really concerned about it because the last pandemic was back after World War One. And it's like, ah, oh, who cares? You know, it's just stuff that they do. <laughs> well, we learned the hard way how wrong that was. Yeah. And uh, that's look, just a fact. I had strong Christian. I would, I would pick up the phone and call the Christian conservative MPs that I have relationship with, and I can speak very frankly with them. They know my heart. That I, I don't hate them. I'm not opposed to them. I want their best. Their career sacrificing, opportunity sacrificing, to to do the right thing. And in this, they just went to jelly. Mm. And I'm like, you can't. This isn't even complicated. You can't tell people they have to stay at home. You can't tell people they can't go to school. You can't tell people they can't go to church. You can't tell people they can't go to work. That is too far. That is not your authority, your permission, your responsibility. Keeping us safe is not government's job. That is utter insanity. And, and they would say, Oh, yeah, but we don't know how dangerous this is. And I would say, forget the scientific debate. I don't even care if it's the Black yeah. Plague with a 30% fatality rate. Three out of 10 people who get it will drop dead in the street. I don't care how bad it is. That is not your right to do. That is an absolute transgression of government's rights and responsibilities, not your authority. I promise you, and here's, the, here's how this works, is I promise you, if there's a 30% fatality rate, I'm not going to work. Yeah. But that's my choice. 
And I guarantee most yeah. people are going to be making the same choices. That's right. Yeah, so, so government had every right and they should have uh, given you know, guidelines around what we could and should be doing, whether, you know, the age to stay out of, you know, society. Advice. Advice, advice even as I said before, provide a, a vaccination for people who want that, have done that with the flu shot in the past, and people could have followed that advice and, you know, put some basic guidelines around that. But, that, but what they did was they, they it was, I call it a communist-inspired uh, you know, overreach. You know, they one hundred percent copied the CCP. Yeah, where does the, where do lockdowns come from? I mean, lockdown is, a, is, a, is is it's a prison term. When you when you do a lockdown, really you do. shut all the doors of the prison and you make sure everyone can't get out. Literally, yeah, there was none of this advice in epi in any epidemiological response. Yeah, in no pandemic response plan was lockdown ever suggested. Yeah. as a viable. Uh, effective solution yeah. to slowing or stopping a pandemic until the Chinese Communist Party did it in Beijing. Okay. And then all and, of a sudden, that's where we got it from. And right. then we also had this vision of people falling down dead in China as well on top of that, you know, which kept getting released and, oh, that, you know, I don't know how that got out there, but we got it. And if we get it from China, it's because we're meant to get it. You're right, though. So, it's, so it's a we, thing. Uh -huh. And when right. I sat down with, sorry, Matt, I'll yeah, just say this right. last thing. When I sat down with my Labor MP, state MP, he has agreed that that the way I come at this is from a principled objection. So he can give me as many charts and data of death rates in Florida versus somewhere else. It doesn't really matter. He said, I understand that you're coming at this from a moral principle and there's not too much I can argue with that. Which and that is, is correct. exactly the whole point. I know. I say because I've looked him in the eye and said you are transgressing his government. Yep. On God-given freedoms, and 100%. history is not going to treat you well with this. So, that's that's the way I, I approach it. You, you can show me all the, you know, because a lot of that we can't can't be trusted anyway. And this is why we have a constitution. Yeah. Um, not that mm. not that I'm saying they technically broke the constitution. The whole concept of a constitution is this is the moral mooring so that you don't come adrift exactly. as a society. Yeah. These are the frameworks safeguards which, which limit safeguards mm -hmm. the abuse and excesses of the temptation of exercise of government power. The whole point is you have to come at this um, ideologically, yes. philosophically, yeah. ethically, morally. When I mean making an emergency powers legislation that lasts for, what did they want, six months, 12 months, two years? Ridiculous. We're still in an emergency now, believe it or not. That's ridiculous because <laughs> our moral framework says don't be silly. Don't be silly. And because we ignored that, we have suffered the consequences. You know, it was only a week or two after that. The, I, I protested outside the state government uh, when they tried to extend the pandemic legislation here in Queensland and the state of emergency provisions. I think it was a week or two after they got that across the line. Now, it was always meant to be LNP and ALP were going to vote together, as it was ALP 48, LNP 36. So they LNP voted against it in the third reading. But, you know, I think it was a week or two after that that the Premier jotted off to... Uh, the Byron Bay Blues Fest and was photographed down there with her partner. You have just passed a bill telling us that we are in a state of emergency and now you are publishing photos of yourself, you know, and it said in denim shorts and, you know, look at this and look at that. I mean... It's ridiculous. It's just blatantly ridiculous. Yeah. Matt, you've been trying to jump in. I jump just in wanted now. to make a point on that China thing. And this mm. is... Just, the implications of this are actually a little bit terrifying to think about. So... Uh, I'll give it to you, and uh, maybe we can talk about it now, maybe even a little bit more another time. But just think about this, right? We've been told for a while now that this is going to be the Asian century, the Asian century. And, uh, and what does that mean? What did the American century mean? 
the American century meant that the nations which looked to America for leadership yep. started to look more like it. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, okay. Now, earlier early in, in, in uh, 2020, before this uh, flu, this virus thing became a big deal, I was, you know, I'd go to Sunnybank, a lot of different places to see a lot of people wearing masks because people from Asian countries, what do they do in Asian countries in flu yep. season? They wear masks. Yep. How do their governments act in Asian countries? They're paternalistic. They tell their people what to do and their people have to obey. They don't believe in individual freedom or liberty. In other words, that it dawned on me in early 2020 that this is what the Asian century looks like. If we look to China as our leader, mm. then we're going to start looking more and more like them. Mm. There's a reason why we threw out all of our traditions in the light. And you made that point. Where did lockdowns come from? The CCC, the CC party, the Communist Party of China. Yeah. Why on earth? Would we look to the Communist Party of China for how to handle a pandemic? We which... followed their ethical standards. Exactly. Authoritarianism, uh, oppression, and zero regard for civil liberties and human rights. Which is abhorrent. But it that, also... be that, that became our moral compass. <laughs> the CCP became our moral compass. Exactly. And it's abhorrent. But Western values were based in scripture and based on the, the, the philosophies of natural law, which came out of the teachings of scripture. And we threw that away mm -hmm. decades ago in the West. So we're basically a culture with weak, uh, weak-spined, lily-livered leaders who have very little principles. And what are they going to do? Well, they're going to naturally stand to attention when the strongest voice in the room speaks. Mm. And at the moment, to our leaders, that is China in a lot of ways. I mean, that's started to change a little bit, and we're starting to look to the great and strong and noble leader of Joe Biden, <laughs> which is, I can't even say that seriously. But think about this. <laughs> If the Asian century is to the world what the American century was to the world, does that mean we're going to continue to follow their leadership? Do you really want that? Mm. Do you really want leaders who are advocating for that, who set that up with things like the Lima Agreement, sent all of our manufacturing and industry to China so that we could buy stuff back from them that we used to be able to make ourselves? Do you really want that? We don't want leaders who even think that way. We want leaders who say, that is abhorrent. We don't want anything to do that. We want to preserve our Western tradition. Yep. I want to respond to that comment by Rusty. Yeah, it's a very good chance, Rusty, that uh, straight after the election, a new Read it variant out for people on okay, the podcast. Uh, bets are on, says Rusty, that when a new variant will magically appear after the election, I'm going to say within one week, then it's back to restrictions, lockdowns, et cetera, et cetera. And Rusty, it's a very, it's a very real possibility there, and it's something that the only way we can counteract that very real possibility is is having a balance of power in the federal parliament after this election. So mm. it's an it's incumbent on all of us for this election to vote very, very carefully. Uh, look at your freedom uh, parties, your minor parties and independents. Vote them above the major parties, with exceptions if you know a major party candidate that is a real fighter for freedom, a vocal, not a coward who was silent during this time, but someone who spoke up and, and fought for us. You can put them as an exception, but, but put the minor parties first. Mm. Um, number down your preferences and then put your preferred major party last at the end of that. But if we don't have a, a balance of power in the federal parliament right at, at the next, after the next election, there's a very real possibility this government's going to continue to go rogue and we're going to see more of the same. Now, we won't put up with that, uh, but this is, a, this is what we have going for us right now. I don't have my spanner with me. Otherwise, I'd hold up my spanner and say, throw a spanner in the works at this election 
and let's give these guys a headache down this there. This is the second video you've done with me without your spanner. I, no, I I have got it. It's I in my bag over there in the, with, uh, with the producer. Spanner, Charles. Oh, thank you, Charles. I need. I, I even pulled the spanner out at the, uh, I, at the I speech. I want to spend Saturday. five to ten minutes. I want to wrap the show up. Can though. I just do my spanner thing? Because otherwise yeah, yeah, I'm can. never going to ever forget. I actually just want to, um, I just want to talk about coming elections. Um, Quickly, Charles. Bring it over. You Here can we. do it, Charles. You can get on camera. All right. <laughs> there it is, the spanner, okay? Throw a spanner in the works at this next election, deep into the works of oppression and segregation, okay, and give the globalists a headache. That's the way we're going to do it. I had a comment, Dave, could I just... No, I won't be able to find it in time. Someone commented on my page, but the LNP and the federal government weren't part of the, you know, the lockdowns and everything that happened. That was all the stake. I would love to talk about that. Uh, the LNP, the ALP, the Greens, they're all in it together. Throw them all out together. Throw a spanner in the works at this next election. Um, I'm actually going to show this this video, uh, if I can bring it up quick enough. Um, Scott Morrison, when he was announcing the domestic production of AstraZeneca vaccines, uh, and this is for the people that think Scott Morrison had nothing to do with vaccine mandates. It wasn't him. It was all the states. Blame the states, pass the buck, oh, shift the blame. Um, let, let, me, let me tell you um, that his boast, his boast was how committed he is to mandating vaccines. Yep. And his reference was how he mandated the, and I quote, I was the social services minister who yes. introduced no jab, no play in childcare. That's his boast. Now, he has given um, varying rhetoric about how we're not a mandate nation and, and other things like that, but actions speak louder than words, and he has done nothing to inhibit or slow um, the, the march of of uh, mandates through this nation, the injustice, the very least he could have done. If if all of his arguments about constitutional powers were correct, uh, then the very least he could have done was come out and consistently, scathingly talked about the Constitution, about freedom, about how bad, tyrannical and oppressive those uh, those things are, um, the, the mandates, etc. Um, and he didn't. He didn't wage any kind of uh, rhetorical campaign uh, about them at all. And what he did do uh, was facilitate the vaccines and facilitate the state's access to the vaccine database to, to, um, to do those, those horrible uh, impositions on people's income, etc. So it goes on a little D bit stumbling. Dave, Dave, can I just say, because I found the comment. and, and it's, Read that and yeah. then I'll show this video, yes. which, which will help ready. people remind. So someone commented uh, on my page, it's a federal election, not a state election. The premiers of the states and territories are responsible for the lockdowns and the consequences. The time to deal with them as they deserve is not at this election. And I've responded this way, and it summarises what Dave has just said here. Uh <clears throat> Morrison's secretive and unconstitutional national cabinet coordinated response back to you with state governments. Morrison publicly supported businesses' right to discriminate. Do you remember that, Dave? He came out and said, Oh, yeah, businesses, yeah. oh, don't it's kind of like hint, hint, nudge, nudge. You can discriminate if you wish. Yep. It was Morrison who said he'd make the vaccine as mandatory as possible. It was Morrison that gave the states access to the National Immunisation Register so that they, they could facilitate the evil medical segregation. It was Morrison's government who ordered the 151 million doses of vaccine for the states to administer after Greg Hunt, the uh, federal health minister, said the world was engaged in the last global vaccine trial ever. It was the LNP 
ALP Greens at a state and federal level, all complicit in the last two years of communist-inspired politico-pharma tyranny and medical segregation. The elect This election is a chance to let them know we're not buying the finger-pointing between state and federal governments. They all need to own it, repent, and make restitution. 100%. Can I just add to that while you get that video ready? This is from Deconstructing ScoMo, which was uh, published by uh, Lock Press, which is Dave's publishing house, written by Augusta Zimmerman and Rocco Locchiano. Close enough. Yet <laughs> uh, from Canberra, support for Andrews and Co flows unrestrained. Speaking for the Morrison government, Health Minister Greg Hunt declared, we think the Victoria response is fair and appropriate mm -hmm. and acknowledge and thank them for it. They thanked. They thanked them mm. for it. Yeah, yeah. Think about that. 100% collaborative and complicit. Yeah, listen to this. At May 30, 2021 press conference, Hunt also stated, we believe that the steps taken by Victoria are appropriate mm -hmm. and we welcome them in this yep. more, a little bit more, not, not heaps more, but a little bit more. <laughs> In a similar vein, the Prime Minister says he has offered the unconditional assistance of the federal government yep. for whatever the for, for Victorian government might need. Right now, every support has been given National to the Victorian cabinet. government, and I have made it very clear to the pre Premier that any other additional, su additional support he requires, he will receive. It was seditious support. <laughs> All right, we're just going to watch this video. That we require to flatten the curve and to slow the spread and to save lives as a result of what has been described rightly as a circuit breaking lockdown for seven days that hopefully won't go as long as that masks will be mandatory we will be requiring that masks are worn this is a small price to pay for your freedoms please are not mucking about yeah she's pregnant as you know, I have a pretty strong view on vaccines. Uh, being the social services minister that introduced no jab, no play, it does protect you. It does protect your family. The way out of lockdowns and restrictions is vaccinations because there is nothing else on the table. Let's be honest about that. You let the virus in here and every child under 12 is vulnerable. A hard border will be implemented and travel will not be permitted. A third dose of the COVID-19 vaccine will now be mandatory. The virus will hunt you out. I'm not taking lectures on freedom. <laughs> I remember when he said those who are doing human rights, what's wrong, what's wrong with him? So we're all having a bit of conversation here over that. Sorry, hopefully you heard it all. If you haven't, head to George <laughs> Christensen's uh, Facebook page. It's right there. Don't let them forget. It's also on my page, facebook.com slash Dave Pello. And we'll be uh, on mine. <laughs> and, and Dylan's going to share it as well. Um, look, guys. Uh, can you share later? Yes, we will do. Um, do have a look on, on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Dave Pello. It's already there, as well as on George Christensen's uh, page. I actually made that for him, um, and uh, it was a pleasure because um, 
it's a very important message. They do expect you to forget. They want to talk about the price of housing, superannuation, and all kinds of policies right now. And absolutely nothing matters if you return to power the people who were on their watch. It was on their watch that uh, civil liberties were absolutely devastated and destroyed in this nation. There should be no illusion that there is any freedom here. Whatever you think the Constitution says, uh, the government has displayed an absolute ability to completely ignore. Mm -hmm. They've demonstrated their ability to do that. And the population has demonstrated their willingness to let them. Mm -hmm. Everybody who did not take to the streets, who did not criticise uh, vocally and loudly, um, demonstrated their complicitness and collaboration, uh, just like everybody who was silent in other human rights atrocities throughout history. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to bring the show to an end, though, um, and just agree with what Dylan said, that we absolutely must hold these people to account at this election. Throw a spanner in the works and, and destroy the duopoly. I will come back to you guys for final comments. Um, but I also want you to understand that this is not just one election. In November this year, Victorians will go back to a state election. There is very few incumbent MPs in Victoria who deserve to return to power. You know the ones who have spoken out for your freedoms, uh, and you should be talking to them right now. They should have been loud and upset, not just by mandates, but by mandates and lockdowns. That kind of of trampling of human rights, telling you that you can't go to work. I mean, we we heard Jim Penman from Jim's Mowing mm. saying that flipping lawnmower men yeah. completely by themselves outside in the sunshine weren't able to mow the lawn. They weren't able to earn money for their families because of the suspicion of a respiratory virus with a 0.003% fatality rate. <laughs> it was absolutely ludicrous and ridiculous. And even if the fatality rate was a thousand times greater, it was still completely unjustified because I'm not going to invite the lawnmower man to my house if if there's a 30% fatality rate and such a huge risk. I'm not going to offer to go mow somebody else's house. We're not children. We're adults. We're grown-ups. And government has no right to tell us how to manage, measure, and mitigate the risks that each of us have individually. And this is the point, is we all have different levels of risk and and therefore, the response cannot be proportionate when it is universal and, and broad, broad sweeping. So from now on, we have to, what Dylan said, we have to be electing a strong crossbench of independent voices in both houses of every parliament. In both houses, the Victorian parliament has been uh, held to ransom by leftist minor parties and independence. It's very careful that you, it's very crucial that you are very careful in choosing your minor party candidates. You have to know them. Don't just vote for their party. Jackie Lambie came from the United Australia Party because people didn't get to know her before they elected her on the basis of her party affiliation. But we found out that she's an authoritarian. She's been revealed and exposed by this situation. We need to take more care uh, and not just assume that Freedom Party candidates are freedom candidates. Mm. Um, who wants to go first in wrapping up? Um, Dylan, you're okay. ready to roll. Then we'll, yep. we'll let Matt wrap up, and then I'll tell people where to um, get more information. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, look, I, I thought I'd end with another a prophetic uh, thought, and it comes from, and I speaking to Matt about it briefly just before, uh, from the passage about Naboth's vineyard. We know there was, a, there was a time in history, in biblical history, there was a man, the king wanted his vineyard. 
But the vineyard was an inheritance to Naboth and it was in his family's name and Naboth couldn't give it to the king or sell it to him even if he wanted to. So the king was upset and sulked and his uh, idolatrous foreign uh, wife, the Queen Jezebel, said, I'll get you the vineyard for you. And she arranged a, a fake or a false court where uh, false accusers came out and accused Naboth of things he didn't do and the elders of the city had to go along with it and the end of the story was that he was stoned to death and Ahab took his vineyard. Now, the reality is, is that our, our God-given freedoms, our bodily autonomy is like this. It's our birthright. It's not for governments. It's not for corporations to have. It's not for sale. It's not available. And for them to go and try and get it by another way, by coercion or incentivization, bribery, if you will, uh, blackmail, bullying, brainwashing, whatever it is to try and get their hands on something which is not theirs to have, at that point they have transgressed. And I know I make this a lot of a focus in what I say, but it's because it, it comes to the very core of our human rights, uh, on, on, to the very core of our dignity as men and women made in the image of God. And uh, at this election, it's it's very important that we send a message to the major parties who have been complicit in assailing and assaulting and plundering us, if they could, of our, of our bodily autonomy and birthright, that they have transgressed, that they have one uh, course of action available for them now, that is to repent, to make restitution, uh, to establish a credible inquiry, royal commission investigation to get to the bottom of who uh, was corrupt in all of this, where the money trail went and ended, and and let justice be served so that we can once again have faith in our institutions and in our governments. Governments have a role, have a place in our society. We accept that. But uh, that faith has been shattered almost beyond repair for so many people, and that's why we're looking at this election for everyday, decent Australians, hardworking people who represent we the people rather than the interests of the globalists or big pharma or whoever it is that's paying the bills to, to uh, facilitate this assault on humanity in this country and around the world. We want those people in uh, at the balance of power, keeping everyone honest down there. I'll leave it at that and, and turn over to Matt. Just Spanner. Oh, you oh, need yeah. to spanner, Matt. Spanner. We've, we've got, got the, the we've got the. All right, throw it to Matt. Um, uh, just a couple of short things. Hold up the spanner. We've got the comment on the screen. <laughs> Big spanner in the works. Twenty first of May, done. All right. So, just just to to finish off, you know, often the tyrant who looks scary and angry, who's battering you with their words, is actually just a cowardly person who happens to have a little bit of power and is using that power to get what they want because they're too afraid not to have it. I saw that video before of those politicians angrily like, this is what we have to do. That's because they're cowards and they're afraid. Yeah. And we need a bold populist who can say no to them. Yeah. And I think in light of the last couple of years, and I'll hold the spanner up again, and the activity of our governments around this country, I think voting against the major powers should be as mandatory as possible. So let's throw a spanner in the works and let's get something different. That's all I need to say. Yeah, brilliant. Well, um... Thank you, gentlemen. Really appreciate you coming on, on the panel today. Uh, for people who are wanting more of this, head to goodsource.news. Uh, that's the website. Uh, we need everybody to just begin getting used to going to have a, a look for, for this content, the past content, the new content. There's a, a, 
a uh, podcast series being put out right at the moment, twice a day, um, called the, the Federal Election Podcast. Uh, and we've got uh, Jared Rennick on tonight's show. Uh, that'll be published at about 5 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Uh, and he's going to be talking about a lot of really interesting topics, uh, insights that you're going to want to see more of. You may not have. In fact, I don't think I've heard him talk about before. Some of the things including, um, uh, you know, why he joined politics in the first place and the, the things that um, he wanted to achieve before COVID came along and, and derailed the whole conversation. Uh, we'll be talking about having an event with Jared Rennick in um, probably south of Brisbane uh, in about a month after the election. That'll be a fantastic thing. So, I mean, stay tuned to the Good Source News website and newsletter so that you can be the first to hear about that. Grab tickets before seats run out. Uh, but he's going to be, Jared, Senator Jared Rennick is going to be talking uh, about the Liberal Party, the National Party, One Nation, and, and all of the right-wing options, or the main ones, there's, there's far too many to actually go into full detail on, uh, but it's a very educational experience. Uh, and we've also got Campbell Newman, George Christensen, uh, some other commentators uh, having these conversations over and over again. Please put off your voting until the 21st of May. Mm. Please volunteer to um, help your favourite candidate on the 21st of May. Head down to the polls and say, um, you know, contact them now and, and volunteer to stick around for two hours and help hand out some how to vote cards for those people who haven't thought through this as well as you have. Um, and then also volunteer to stick around for scrutineering. Very important that night and Sunday, Monday, Tuesday as well, because that will just help fight for those votes that have been cast for the freedom parties and make sure they're not invalidated by some unfair criticism, which is part of the process and part of the rules, how it all works. Uh, so head to goodsource.news, subscribe to updates, read the recent shows uh, and, and things that are there. Um, Dylan, your channel is uh, Freedom Has a Voice on Facebook. Um, and if you're looking for Matthew Littlefield's other work, um, he's called Based Christian History. Uh, and you can search for that on YouTube. Does your name help in the search terms or just search for Based Christian History? Yeah, or, or Matrim's Mutterings. Matrim's Mutterings. <laughs> we'll try and put that on the screen for you next time so you can find that. Uh, but that's it for this episode of Pello Talk. My name is Dave Pello. I uh, really appreciate all of the supporters who put their hand in their pocket for $5, $10, a week or a month just to make sure that I can do this full time and that we're growing a team and, and investing in resources to do this better and at a better standard and quality constantly. Uh, we have to dilute the lying harlot media uh, and that's the only way we can promote and advocate truth, justice and liberty in this nation because changing the seal of the Commonwealth will change absolutely nothing while the culture is corrupt. And while this last two years has happened with the permission of the majority, mm. uh, that is where we need to change. It's the culture. Uh, and there is no silver bullet or magic bullet, as I've heard some people describe about those other uh, theories. Um, this is where it has to change. Truth manifest, education increased, and intelligent, engaged, uh, non-lethargic voters. Gentlemen, thank you for your time today. No thank you. Thanks, Dave. That's the end of the show, and we will see you next time. Today, we need a special kind of courage, not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics, so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future.